Our normal pattern is to be walking through a book, typically, and sometimes we're in various series doing various different things. If you're new to us, and uh, our pattern typically is to do what we call expository preaching, where we go to the Bible and we unpack a, a chapter, and chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we begin to just see what the Lord would teach us through his word in that way. Today's a little different. Uh, one of my kids asked me, Dad, what are you preaching this morning? I said, well, we're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to end on the new earth. So I don't know if that encourages you. I don't know if that makes you nervous. I don't know if you're thinking, I don't know about lunch now, what's going on, but that's where we're going today. Uh, We're going to be looking together at this idea of work, vocation. What does the Lord have to say about our work? So we're going to look this morning at what I'm calling a theology of work since it's Labor Day weekend. I want to read this morning from the book of Genesis. I'm going to read several excerpts from the first chapter into the second chapter and then pray, and we'll continue on. Let's hear now from the Word of God. This is Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And we jump down to verse 26, where God's continuing his work of creation. And we read there, In verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is in the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. It continues there and then into chapter 2. Here in chapter 2, Beginning in verse, we'll just pick up in verse 4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust. From the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight of and and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We continue there and in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for how it teaches us. We thank you, Father, for how you shape and form us and make us more and more like Christ. 
Lord, would you do that now as we consider your word? As we think about the things of work and vocation and what your word would have to teach of, about these things. So Lord, I ask for you to help us now to have eyes to see and ears to hear. That we may be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as probably all of us know, this is Labor Day weekend. I don't normally preach sermons based upon a federal holiday, but I thought, you know, it may be helpful for us, since we're kind of in between series, just to think for a moment about work. We think about Labor Day weekend, according to a government website, Labor Day, the first Monday in September, is a creation of the labor movement and is dedicated to the social and economic achievement of American workers. It's a yearly national tribute to the contributions workers have made to the strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. It's an extra day off, right? It's a, it's a long weekend. That's really what, when we think about Labor Day, that's what many of us think about. Well, it's, it's kind of the last hoorah of summer. That's why half of the church is gone this morning, right? They're all just living up this weekend, getting the rest of that sunshine and beach or wherever it is they are before they have to get back to a fall full of school and work. When we think about Labor Day, Labor Day for most is nothing more than a long weekend that marks the end of summer. But at the very least, when you think about it, at least the government recognizes the value and importance of work. But when I thought about that, that really raises a a bigger question, doesn't it? It's one thing for the government to speak to the importance and value of work, but really as Christians, one of the things we ought to be asking was, what does God think about our work? What What does God think about the things we do? You know, I think what I find, and even in my own heart, I often find that we think too little of our work. Or we simply see our work as something we do just to pay the bills. Or because something around home needs to be done. It's almost a necessary evil. Got to pay the bills. Kids have to have clean clothes. On and on we go. But it's... Is that the way that God intends for us to think about our work? All of us work. Now realize that looks different as we think about the, uh, the diversity throughout this room and the things that you do. When I'm talking about work, I know that most of us are thinking the jobs we go do to be compensated for, and I am largely including that this morning, but when I'm talking about work, I'm really talking about work on a bigger scale. I'm talking about the work that we do that we may or may not be compensated for. That could include things of housework, of caring for elderly parents, or those kinds of things that require an enormous amount of energy and time. Simple house chores, mowing the yard, on and on we could go. But certainly it does include the things that we do to be compensated for. The job you get paid to do. But when we think about all of these things, what I want us to do this morning is I want to think, okay, in all of this work that we do, what does the Bible teach about it? Is it something that I just need to to just kind of pull myself together and get through another day? 
Is that really, what you, is that really how God intends for our work to be? Something we just merely endure? Something we just merely do to pay the bills so that we can enjoy life outside of work? Friends, I don't think that's what the Lord intends at all. When we consider what the Bible has to say about work, what we're going to find is that God designed us to be workers. He values our work. And we're going to see just how that unfolds throughout the Scripture. God calls us all to work. That may be working in the home. That may be working out of the home. That may be a combination of both. But listen, God has never called us to be lazy. God has not called us to be idle. He has called us to be workers. When we consider the storyline of Scripture, many times we're able to kind of summarize that narrative in four words. I know some of us have heard this even in recent weeks. When you think about what is the message of the Bible, you can summarize it in four words. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created the world, we fell into sin, He enacted a plan to redeem us, and he's promised to restore the world in a new heavens and new earth one day. That's the storyline of the Bible. So if you want to be able to tell somebody what the Bible's about, that's what it's about. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to think in those four categories, but I want us to kind of run this idea of work through that filter. Okay, I want us to think about work, our vocation, the things that we do through those categories of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And I want us to see, by the time that we get to the end, that God places a high premium on our work as we strive to be faithful in the things that we do. So our main point, our big idea this morning is simply this. We are called to value our work because it is a gift from God and a way that we reflect the image of God. We are called to value our work because it is a gift from God and it is a way that we reflect the image of God. And so as we consider that, I want us to consider it through each stage of the Bible's storyline. So yes, I'm really preaching through the whole, whole Bible today. Maybe not in the way that you think. Let's consider, first of all, work in creation. Work and creation. One of the very first things that you see when you open the Bible and you turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and you begin reading, one of the very first things that you see is you have God there and he is working. What is he doing? He's creating. He's, he's actively creating. He is working. You see God's work of creation on display before your very eyes when you begin reading the first chapter in the Bible. He's commanding, he's making, he's separating, he is busy bringing about his creation. And then we get to chapter 1, verse 26, and we read that God creates man and woman, male and female, and he gives them then the responsibility to work. I want you to notice in verse 28 of chapter 1 what the Lord gives them to do. After he makes them, after his image, he says in verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, of the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding food and, or seed. And you jump, jump to chapter 2 and you see that in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it, to keep it. So really, if you can just kind of summarize what Adam and Eve's responsibility was at the very beginning of creation, pre-fall. This is, this is when all was good and glorious. Their two responsibilities primarily were to multiply and to work the garden, to have dominion over the creation. Pretty significant responsibility. That's what they were called to do. So God creates Adam and Eve to be workers. Work was part of God's good creation. I think sometimes we think that that work is is a consequence of the fall. We wouldn't have to work if sin wasn't in it. That's not true. God created us to be workers. Work is not something we have as a result of sin, but it's something we have as part of being created in the image of God. And it was a delightful and joyful calling that Adam and Eve had in the garden. The work that Adam and Eve had, were given, they were given in the Garden of Eden, was specifically directed as service to the Lord. So life in God's good creation, in the beautiful Garden of Eden, when all was good and all was perfect, in this garden, God's created place where Adam and Eve were, life was characterized for them by joyful, satisfying work done unto the Lord. Now things have changed, as we will see. Sin has left its stain. But friends, I think it's important to see from the very beginning that God made work as part of who we are as his image bearers. Many of us have been taught to think that work as being something separate from our spiritual lives. We kind of go to church and we go to work and we participate in the spiritual work on Sundays, maybe throughout the week when we have time, but then we do the other kind of work as well. It's really a wrong way to think about life. Occasionally these worlds may collide and overlap, but by and large we we do our spiritual thing here and we do our Monday through Friday thing or whatever your work schedule looks like here. But friends, if it's true that God created us to work, then he, he created us to see our lives in a different light, not separate, but as image bearers, to see that there is dignity and worth and value in our work as a person that's been created in the image of God. That could be seen in an infinite number of ways. Whether it's a college student making lattes, the stay-at-home mom caring for her kids, the mechanic fixing cars, the businessman working Monday through Friday, the one acting as a playwright or actor, or the Navy officer fulfilling his or her responsibility to the country, and on and on we can go. You see, I think we've settled in viewing our work as something that's merely an obligation or necessity instead of seeing inherent value and worth that God places on our work. 
when we see work from God's creative mandate, we begin to see it as something much greater than a paycheck. I think some of that, that's where we settled, isn't it? I work to get paid so I can pay for my house and my car and my food, and it's just necessary. If I could have all this other stuff without work, then I would do it. Never how God designed you to be. Never. He, he never designed you to just lay around sipping on whatever it is you like to drink. Just with this eternal glow in your face. He never, he never created you to be a binge watcher of Netflix. I have Netflix, I watch it. He didn't create you to sit in front of that TV for eight hours. He didn't create you to be an expert in Fortnite. I'm talking to some of you 30 and 40 year olds. You need to get a life. He created you to work. Friends, when we work with our hands, we are reflecting the image of God. You know, we think about our vocation. Vocation is a word that simply means calling. And I don't know that many of us think about our, li- our vocations as a calling. But maybe we should think more like that. We have vocations in a variety of different places. We have vocations in family. We have vocations in the workplace and culture. And these are the things that we have been called to do and equipped to do by the Lord. And when we think about our vocation, it's not what we do, but what God does through us. Because the things that we do in our work, in our vocations, is something that the Lord has created for us to be part of and to do so that he works in and through us for his glory and for the good of others. So that's where we begin, work in creation. But what about the fall? It leads me to the second point. So we think about work and the fall. I'm not talking about September, October, November. I'm talking about sin. The fall into sin. As we continue through the Bible, it doesn't take long for us to see how this perfect, good, delightful situation in Eden was totally wrecked. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, Adam and Eve were commanded to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by the time we get to chapter 3, verse 6, they had done just that. They had disobeyed this command, and they had brought a curse into the world because of their sin. And I want you to look at chapter 3 of Genesis in verses 16 through 19 at how now the, sins, the sin of Adam and Eve now impacted the world. Notice the two things that were impacted. Verse 16, he's now responding to their disobedience. He's already cursed the serpent. Now verse 16, the woman, he, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Do you notice the two things 
that God curses here are the very two responsibilities that he gave them. Pain and childbearing, pain and working the ground. The two things. They were called to multiply and to work. And when sin entered the world, both of those things were now impacted. Pain in both. Sin brings into the world this new new reality regarding our work. And it's important to notice here that work itself was not cursed. The ground was cursed. While work remains good, it is now frustrated by sin. This is the reality in which we all now live. And we see that no matter the kind of work we do, don't we? The weeds grow, machines break, crops fail, computers lock up, students are unruly, contracts fall through, people miss deadlines, and on and on we can go. Name me one thing out there, an occupation or any kind of work, that just runs perfectly smooth. I'm waiting. Besides pastoral ministry. Nothing. Nothing. Sin frustrates it. But what happens is we we think, okay, it's frustrating. I mean, how many of you this week were frustrated at work? Raise your hand. This is just a wake-up check. All right. Yeah, I mean, this this is the result of the curse. The work itself was not cursed, but the things in which we do around that that that's part of our work, that's the frustrating part. Sin impacts it all. Work can be frustrating, but listen, you were never created to hate your work, no matter how difficult it may be. I realize that's easy to say, but you were not created to detest and to hate work. You were created to see it as good. And yes, we live in a world now filled with sin and it's cursed, and now our work is frustrated. As we're called to see our work as a blessing, as something that's good, even in the midst of frustration. Not only does sin frustrate our work, it also impacts our attitude about work. That's part of the frustration. I want us to see three ways that this can happen. Three ways that that sin frustrates our attitudes and our work. First of all, work can lead to idleness. When we fail to recognize God's good purpose in our work, we can grow idle. I-D-L-E. Not necessarily inactive, but not productive. In our frustrated work, we can grow slack and careless and treat work as something just to endure. Friends, idleness is a reflection of our heart where we've not fully grasped the, God, the, the good purposes that God has intended in our work. Those who are idle show little passion for God's good design in our work, for, for us to do good and be helpful in serving others around us. You see, if we see work as just a way to pay for leisure and play and nothing more, 
then we're going to be tempted toward idleness. Even at work, we may be working, but idle. Because we cannot separate our work from who we are as Christ followers. God not only cares about what we do, but he cares about how we do it. We're going to see just in a minute as we consider another passage, especially in Colossians, that as we work, we are working as unto the Lord. And that should reshape our entire thinking about what we do and how we do it, even if we're working in a frustrated environment. Listen, your work is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about your comfort, it's not about your ease, it's not about your paycheck ultimately or your retirement benefits. It's not about you, it's about the glory of God and the good of others. Work can lead to idleness. And and a second reality is that work can lead to idolatry. You can be idle in your work or you can make it an idol. For those who are especially driven and highly motivated, they will often seek to find their ultimate satisfaction in their work. And therefore, work becomes all-consuming. Becomes the very thing in which you live for. Take away your work and you lose everything in your mind. I just want you to think about that. If 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 you were to be told tomorrow you no longer have a job, how would, that, how would you deal with that? Let's pray that that doesn't happen, but let's just, you know, okay, Tuesday, you're off tomorrow, I get it. Tuesday. What would you do? Again, I, I'm not saying we shouldn't be driven. We should, properly. Nor am I saying that we should not somehow find satisfaction in our work. I think that there is an element of satisfaction and joy that we should find in the things that we do. Absolutely. But when these things become all-consuming, it can become an idol. Work becomes an idol when we no longer see our work as a way to serve God and others, but rather we see it as a way to serve ourselves and our ego. And friends, let me just tell you, Work makes a terrible God. Makes a terrible God. And so often it becomes just that in our lives. Without, maybe we don't mean it to be that. It wasn't our intent, but we become enslaved to this thing. And it just becomes all-consuming. It begins to destroy you from the inside out. It begins to affect your family and everyone around you. Because you are out to make a name for yourself. Let me just encourage you again. Five, ten years after you retire, nobody will ever remember you. That was encouraging, wasn't it? Okay, maybe 20 years for some of you. Work becomes an idol. Friends, listen, God established this biblical pattern of work and rest for a reason. We work, and we give our all in our work, and we go about our work as stewards and as hard workers, as unto the Lord, absolutely. But then there's this idea of rest. This pattern of work and rest is a biblical pattern that God gave us as a gift for our good 
to remind us that ultimately our joy and our satisfaction is not found in work, but found in Him. Work can become an idol, which leads me to the third point, which is very similar. Work can become our identity. Similar to the previous one, but a little different. Your job as a teacher or an engineer or a plumber or a mechanic or something in customer service, that's not ultimately who you are. It may be your title. It may say it on your paycheck or your retirement benefits of what you do, but that's ultimately not who you are. Your identity is not wrapped up fully in your vocation. It's part of you, but it does not ultimately define you. Again, what, what happens when, whether, you, whether you're changing jobs or whether you lose a job or whether you retire, what happens then? What's your identity then? If, if, you're, if your identity is all wrapped up in your job and then that's gone for whatever reason, then what happens? You see, jobs can come and go and your identity remains intact. I love what Tim Keller said. He said the gospel helps Christians find their deepest identity, not in our accomplishments, but who we are in Christ. This keeps our egos from inflating too much during seasons of prosperity and it prevents bitterness and despondency during times of adversity. So well put. When we begin to find our identity in the things that we do, that that, that can impact us. It can inflate our ego and it can lead to bitterness and despondency when things aren't well. I think this is where Colossians chapter 3 is helpful. If you turn over to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 3, there we find in verse 22 through 24 some helpful instructions. He's writing to slaves or servants in this particular verse. And I think that we can apply these things even to our workplaces. Certainly they were not the same thing. Some of you may feel like it is, but it's, it's not. Verse 22, slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. No room for idleness, no room for laziness. Work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And notice what he says. You are serving the Lord Christ. Paul reminds us here that we are called to work for the Lord ultimately. Yes, you may be working for an employer, and you should respect that employer. You should As long as they're not calling you to engage in some kind of immorality or anything like that, you should be respectful and you should be compliant to that employer's demands and requests upon you and your time, so long as it's not causing you to sin. However, you need to understand that as a worker, your calling is much greater than just that. You are working as unto the Lord. 
You're working for Him. And friends, that, that will help change everything. That, that means that, that will make the, the fast-paced, high-pressure job bearable and even the most modest of jobs meaningful. But listen, none of it will define us. Our identity will not ultimately be impacted when retirement comes or when a job change happens or when whatever may happen to you in your work. This is true not just with those compensated jobs. It's, it's true in seasons of life as parents, right? You have work at home. Some of your most important work, friends, is in the home. Some of the hardest working people I know are those stay-at-home moms who pour their lives out. Husband goes and sits in front of a computer all day, sips on his coffee. She is exhausted. But whether it's a mom or dad, those seasons will come and go, but even our identity is not in that. It's part of who we are, but it's not ultimately who we are. We need to understand sin will impact and it will frustrate our work and it will cause our work to be misunderstood and it will cause us to be tempted towards certain things like idleness, making our work an, uh, even an idol or growing idle in our work or seeing our work as ultimately our identity. This is what happens when sin entered the world. It, it confuses and it frustrates things, good things. Work is, is still good. But if we're not careful, we will, we will mess up what it was intended to be because of sin. But then there's redemption. We've seen work in creation. We've seen work and the fall, how sin impacts our work. But then there's work in redemption. We know the fall brings a curse into the world. But Jesus comes into the world to deal with that curse. Right? God so loved the world, he sends his only son into this world to be the savior of sinners. Jesus comes into this world ultimately giving himself to pay the penalty for sin and to redeem those who were under sin's curse. That was the mission that Jesus had. In so doing, he comes into this world to fulfill ultimately what his father designed for him to do, but he came to do what Adam failed to do. And, as he did, and, and in so doing, Jesus comes to accomplish the work that the father assigned him. And so when he walked this earth, he worked. We know that Jesus taught, he healed, he did many miracles, and he ultimately did the greatest work ever by dying as a sacrifice for sin and being raised three days later from the dead. The greatest work that has ever been accomplished ever, or will ever be accomplished, was the work that Jesus did to secure the redemption of of those who would put their hope and trust in him. But even before his public ministry, Jesus spent many, many years as a carpenter. I mean, think about that. I mean, Waco, Texas has nothing on Jerusalem. There's people in Waco, hey, Chip and Joanna fixer-upper, they, they did my house. People in Jerusalem, Jesus built my house. 
No comparison. He worked. Seriously, think about this. Here we have God in the flesh on a rescue mission. God in the flesh on a rescue mission to fulfill all that the prophets have prophesied. But the one, of the, one of the things he does before he accomplishes our redemption is he works as a carpenter. And then his public ministry takes off. He dies as a substitute for sin, fulfilling the greatest work he came to accomplish. So that we could be saved. And listen, that work that Jesus did ultimately to, to, to secure our redemption should change and impact everything we do, including your work. As Christians, we really need to connect the reality of what God has done for us in Christ with everything in our lives. Everything. It completely shapes the motives behind all that you do. Everything. Whether you work out there somewhere, or even if you're a student. I would say if you're a student, going to school, day after tomorrow, yes, sorry to remind you again. Um, Some of you have been in school already. But even if you don't have a job, that's your work right now. That's what you're doing. As as Christians, we need to, to, to look at how Jesus changes our motives and all that we do. First of all, the work that Jesus accomplished is the very work needed to secure our salvation. Your eternal life, your eternal life is entirely dependent upon the work Jesus came to do. And friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, understand that's exactly what you need to hear today. That Jesus came into this world to ultimately work redemption. He lived a life of perfection and he died on a cross as a substitute for sinners to bear the full wrath and penalty for your sin. And the Bible promises that if you would simply turn from your sin and put your trust and hope in Christ, that your sins will be forgiven and that you'll gain everlasting life. That is the greatest thing you can ever know. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would urge you to consider this work that Jesus did to secure salvation for people just like you. And friend, I would beg you, beg you, beyond anything else you do today, consider that and put your full trust and hope in that. Have your sins forgiven and have your eternity secure because of what Jesus did, because of the work that he accomplished. He ultimately came to do that. When we realize this, there is no amount of work. Think about that. We're called to work, but there's no amount of work you can do to earn your salvation. Jesus did all that. He did all of that. When it comes to Jesus and your salvation, we're called to rest in him because he accomplished everything for you. But once that rest in Christ is realized, once that hope is found in him, then that begins to change everything about our lives. It reworks our thinking. We are a new creation. We are called to to live in a different way. Several things that that we can see here very quickly. Number one, what redemption does about our work, it helps us to realize, number one, we have a new master. We have a new master. In Romans chapter 6, 
We read in verse 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness. We were once slaves to sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness. That means we have a new master, a new owner, a new king over our lives. And then when we compare that to what we read in Colossians chapter 3, we begin to see how this works itself out. This idea of redemption begins to change even the things that we do Because we're slaves to righteousness, then that means we can obey those who are earthly masters. Not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, just working when people are watching, and when people aren't, we just kind of revert back to laziness. You see, we do it with sincerity of heart. We do it with, we work heartily. As for the Lord, knowing that the Lord will reward us, we're serving the Lord. We have a new master. But then we also know that we have a new purpose. When the gospel invades our lives, it changes us. We are a new creation, which means we have new affections, new desires, new motives, new reasons for doing the things that we do. You may do the same things that you did before you were converted, assuming they're not sin, but now you do them with a different energy. You do it with a different focus. You do it with a different purpose. We know that when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a second like it, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus summarizes the law by saying you're to love God ultimately, supremely. That is your calling, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're called to be now as newly created people in the work of redemption. And when we begin to think about our work, our vocations, the things that we do, we begin to see that we're called now to live in a new way. Our work, listen, our work becomes a means through which we demonstrate our love for God and our love for neighbor. Thought about your job like that lately? This is God's gift to me so that I can reveal my love for him and my love for neighbor. It may take you a while to think through that. That's what he... That's what, that's, that's what the gospel does is it changes your perspective and your focus. My goodness, we could just think of the endless ways that our jobs and the things that we do benefit others. I know we like to complain a lot about the government. Many of you work in relationship to the government or for the government. We, we complain. It's not a perfect government. But just think about the many things that many of you are doing for the well-being and prosperity of other people. Those of you involved in the school system, for how you are investing. Those of you who may be a mechanic or work on homes or different things like that, how you're benefiting others, how you're serving people. And we could just go, I I hesitate to even mention certain ones because there are endless ways in which we are called to invest in our work as a means to love God and to love others. And friends, that frees us up not to see our work as something we got to endure for another day. Oh, a dread Tuesday. The gospel should change that. 
Say, you know what? Tuesday may be hard, but God has given that to me as a gift to serve my fellow co-workers and ultimately those who benefit from the things I do. It's a big difference, isn't it? Frees you up to see it as a means to worship God, a means to do good to others. I love what Luther said. He said, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. God does not need your good works, but, but our neighbor does. And to see your vocation, whatever that is, paid or not paid, as a means in which to invest in the good of others is how we are called to live with a new purpose. Work and redemption. Redemption changes everything. And then lastly, but not least, work and restoration. So we got to the end a lot quicker than you thought. Work and restoration. It's interesting what Paul, that Paul calls earthly servants to obey their masters. Notice he says, work heartily as for the Lord. This is Colossians 3. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And then notice what he says. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. Notice one of the motives Paul lumps in there for servants to obey their masters. He says, listen, you have a reward coming. You have an inheritance coming. Work now, work hard, work heartily. Do it as unto the Lord, knowing there's a future inheritance for you. Friend, if the thing that gets you up in the morning is your paycheck or your health insurance or your house or your car or whatever it is you like in life, if that's what wakes you up to go to your job, you are selling yourself way short. God created you to work and do it as unto the Lord, knowing there is an eternity awaiting for you, an inheritance to receive that is far infinitely greater than any paycheck can ever you could ever have. This is what God did. We can do our work as unto the Lord, knowing that we have this future inheritance. Listen, the rewards Jesus offers are infinitely greater than any earthly reward you can have. There's no house, no salary, no vacation, no recognition that can outshine this eternal inheritance. Nothing. And friend, that ought to free you up to work with this new perspective and renewed joy. And listen, and when we do receive our inheritance, when we do receive our inheritance, listen, The new heavens and new earth is not going to be like an eternal retirement where we just sit around in this eternal state of glowing. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 65 says when he's looking to that day. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. This is is describing the new heavens and new earth. For behold, I created new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of it weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall be there in it an infant who lives but a few few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be a curse. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit they shall not build and another inhabit they shall not plant and another eat for like the days of the tree the days of my people my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands they shall not labor in vain 
or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Friends, in the midst of all of the glory and bliss and no more sin and no more pain and no more dying and no more suffering, there will be vineyards to plant. There will be work to be done. But listen, it will be work not impacted by sin. So think about this new heavens and new earth. It's not going to be where you're just kind of perched on a cloud. That sounds boring. Well, that would be boring. God's making a new heavens and a new earth that you will inhabit and you will give yourself to how God designed you to be, to work in pure delight and in pure joy. So brothers and sisters, no matter what you do, no matter what you do today, know this. The work you do is not meaningless drudgery. It is God's gift to you for your provision, for your joy, and as a means to love him and to love others. So whatever you do for however long you've been called to do it, do it well, knowing all the while that God is pleased in your work when you do it well as unto the Lord. And even though sin has frustrated it, know that Christ redeems it. And there's coming a day when your work will be fully joyful and God will be glorified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us about work. Father, I pray that you would help me and help my brothers and sisters here to have the right perspective about our lives the work that we've been called to engage in, whether it's our jobs or whether it's the work at home, whether it's our responsibility in other places. Lord, I pray that we would see our lives as a stewardship to be lived out, to be poured out for the good of others and for the glory of your great name. Father, would you forgive us when we've grown idle in our work? Would you forgive us when we've made an idol out of our work? when we have sought to define ourselves by our work. Father, would you help us to see ourselves ultimately as your image bearers and as people who have been redeemed by the finished work of Jesus Christ? Would you help us to rest in him and to find the sweetness of your grace And Father, to realize then that it is that very grace that transforms everything about what we do, including our work. Father, it's my prayer that Redeeming Grace Baptist Church would be a people known for the work we do because of the way in which we do it. We pray this in Jesus' name.